Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. Cause I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 121 of the Greenlight Podcast, POC Ephrage. It is December. We are getting into almost the meat and potatoes, about a month away from the no, meat and potatoes. conference play starts next week. Yeah, I was going to say, we're Even almost there. It, like, we'll take a break, but like, yeah. Big Ten ACC, we're getting conference basketball next week, which is crazy to think about because it feels like we just kicked off the season. Yeah, November flew by uh, without a doubt, but a lot to talk about today. Going to be a rambling of the last uh, two weeks or so, recapping a ton of different games. Who's hot? Who's not? Uh, my home state uh, Huskies, they are quite good. Um, we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about Duke, Purdue, Indiana, Carolina, Marquette, Baylor. Uh, but first, I need to address Mr. Tate Frazier. Uh him and I don't set know the stage other. for it. Well, tell for people that don't know who he is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening I, to this, I'm very interested to hear this. If you're listening to this, I assume you listen to their much more popular podcast uh, before or after hours. Um, but Tate Frazier is a co host of a, a podcast um, called Titus and Tate, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, and he's a massive UNC fan. And so I, I would say I listen to. Uh, Gary Parrish the most of like other like college basketball people. But once every blue moon, I'll throw on Titus and Tate. And I decided to do that because UNC has lost three in a row. Duke just won their uh, beat Ohio state. So it's always good when like both of their teams are losing. It's, it's pretty fun uh, content. And overall, look, I think they do a pretty good job. They're entertaining. They're fun. I mean, Mark Titus, like we have like a pretty good inside scoop into like the truths of that book and stuff. We got a nice little source into that, but we won't get into Titus right now. So Tate goes on and starts talking about UNC losing to Indiana three in a row, blah, blah, blah. And the first little, little uh, dig was Ar Armando Baycott being hurt, which he is and saying, he's giving me real coach K vibes of, be of, of being hurt. We have real short-term memory with Roy Williams, huh? Cause Roy Williams has had multiple bouts of vertigo and collapsing on the sideline in the exact same fashion that Coach K did. So you're either criticizing the injury or whatever you're saying, Coach K got dizzy or whatever, and he collapsed, he got too hot, who knows. You're either criticizing that specific thing and you're cool with vertigo, or you, know, you lack general self-awareness, which... This is this is my ultimate take. Now, I know he's probably trolling and all these things, but we got to have some self-awareness. That's number one. Number two, they start to get into, oh, they still call it Krzyzewskiville, and I heard Coach K was up in his office watching the game. Are we kidding me with this? Imagine the criticism if Coach K was at every single game like Roy Williams has been for 18 months now, going on two years. The dude went out to Maui. Like, yo, go enjoy your retirement, my man. 
He's like the grandfather babysitting Hubert Davis, making sure they still offensive rebound and don't let the ball hit the rim out of the net. Hey, make sure you do things the Carolina way, like Jerry Stackhouse did, okay? I'm so sick and tired <laughs> of criticizing Shashevsky. Now, Ian, look me in my face and tell me that I don't take it in the chin all the time and admit that Coach K has been an asshole, has been a dick, has done so many things wrong, but you cannot sit here and try to like make it seem like it's okay that Roy Williams is attending all these games. If it was, if the roles were reversed, this would be, it would be front page news in college basketball every single game. Where's Coach K sitting? What did he do? They'd zoom in on him. Dick Vitale would have another fest talking about Coach K. Now I'm not done. That's only that's there, there's one there's there's one more. Then he makes the statement, well, you know what you got to do in Cameron. You got to win by 10 to win by one. Can we back up to the Dean Smith era? Okay, let's do some, Let's. this is where self-awareness comes in. Dean Smith was the original Coach K, okay? Everyone, every single ACC coach complained that Dean Smith got calls and got treated differently by the refs and the rest of the ACC got treated differently. You're everyone, every Virginia fan would agree. Every NC state fan would agree. And every Duke fan would agree now, probably starting in 2001. Cause I'm not ready to say that this happened in 1993. I, I, I was, I was four years old. I don't know, but I'm saying probably from Oh one on after he won his third championship, Duke got a whistle without a doubt. And coach K got a whistle and he definitely got favored by the refs. Now, I'm not saying that's why they won another 600 games in 20 years and two championships, but they playing at Cameron was an advantage. Playing at the Dean Dome or playing at Rupp or playing, you know, pick, you know, UCF should be an advantage. So again, the overall lack of self-awareness, and I get it, cool, you know, you're trolling and whatever, and Titus goes on to say, like, the Oral Roberts University, like, that's awesome. You know what I mean? We're going to make fun of Ohio State for losing in the first round. And they're going to make fun of Ohio State for losing to Michigan. That's fantastic. So overall, if it's a troll job, good job. Because now, you know, I'm hot and bothered. But to me, I don't think it is. Like, I think this dude lacks so much self-awareness. You saw it when we tweeted at each other in the spring. I was like, come on and talk about it, bro. Like, you, like he, he has this image where Carolina is the standard but also he hates Duke for like basically doing the exact same thing that he loves Carolina for go. So I'm going to just circle back to the very first thing that you said, which was that you rarely listen to Titus and Tate and you listen to a lot of Gary Parish because I've, I think I've listened to every single episode of Titus and Tate teed up all literally all like when it one shining podcast, the podcast has been called three different names or 100% trolling. And they definitely got you fired up. Because I think, yes, and and this is from someone that I despise Carolina more than I despise Duke. The calling him Mr. K, the office, oh, is John Shire going to have an office? Like, that's that trolling's been going on, like, honestly, like all summer, even too, in the offseason. That's it's just, it's a, it's a consistent joke. I do agree with you that it does seem odd. Like, it, it's, there's, I don't see a scenario where Roy, because Roy kind of just dove in and was like at every single game, no matter what. Now, the only argument I can kind of, I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit here is that Roy didn't do the retirement tour. Roy just kind of faded out. 
and didn't make. And so it's kind of like, you know what? And he's not that coach K doesn't bleed Duke. Obviously they both, they both are like bleed Duke and bleed Carolina. And I think that Roy almost is like, he's, he pushed past the edge of, all right, he started showing up a lot. And then now it's the attention's not on him for being there because he kind of like strong armed his he's way. He's always there because he's always there. And it's just like a consistent thing. And I think early, if you had seen and Carolina did and, and Carolina did struggle a lot at times last year too. I think um, if this was, if it was reverse, if, if this was Roy coach last year, and they went to the final four. And then now this is Hubert's first year and Roy's at every single game with like watching and he's not giving Hubert a chance to breathe. I feel like it would be a story because we kind of got through last year and Carolina didn't really, no one expected a lot out of Carolina, even until like they got to the sweet 16, late, like they were just late. kind of like, there was a joke like, and that was the, and, and one, and just one quick note is the trolling is like they've joked that Carolina has been a bubble team since like last year too. So I think there's, there's just a lot more shots taken at Duke on that podcast, but regardless, you're, you're obviously right. Roy, maybe if the scenario is a little bit different, he would have gotten heat for being there all the time, but because of just the nature, I think of how he went out and how last year's team, there wasn't a lot of pressure and expectation. It was like, yeah, like Roy's there all the time. Like Roy's going out, like, it is a little odd. Like, I don't think that – I think because Hubert took them to a Final Four already and took them to a national championship game that it doesn't feel like he's being – like, he needs – like, he has the approval of Roy. We already know that Roy wanted him to get the job to begin with, and that was his choice and and, and to push it forward. It doesn't feel like he's looking over his shoulder because Hubert already took him there. Whereas I can see, obviously, the narrative of K – being at every game with Shire who hasn't had taken a team there or, and has all these expectations being a, Hey, I'm looking over your shoulder. I'm not letting go. That's the only, like, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong either way. I completely understand why coach K is not there. Cause I think it's only looked at one way. It's just a distraction. I think if the scenario was a little bit different for Roy. It'd probably be looked at that as well, but because he kind of just powered through it last year, it's not really talked about. And it's, and, and because of the way he went out, of just kind of abrupt, abruptly not saying I'm having a last season. And then uh, he wasn't the spotlight on his way out. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Last, last it, thing. I, 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 and I do love the, I love the, I love the office trolls. I love that. The fact that because coach K that Shire, like that he is keeping his office up there and that Shire doesn't, because it is, in my opinion, I think it is a little, not a little ridiculous, but it's in, it, maybe it's overblown, but it is just seems um it seems weird um but at the end of the day the only thing i'll kiss and i i, I don't want to make an argument for it he he crazy carolina is much worse than duke right now that's the only thing i think that it, when he transitioned he's like we're in a worse spot and then i think because they're both teams have not looked strong over the past two weeks it's all right let me at least let's let's get a couple jabs in at duke but i i yeah. don't i i think there's there's hatred there but i think what you're referencing is definitely trolling to try and fire it up because they have the ammo from the end of last year. All right, so I want to address the ammo, right? We've we've had our sad uh, episodes, right? In the spring, after it all happened, we we addressed everything. Them beating, like, first of all, we forget that Duke absolutely murdered Carolina at Carolina, which still feels fantastic in, in Kay's last game, walking off with his wife. Classic. 
them beating Duke in Coach K's last game in Cameron Indoor will forever and always be like a stain for Duke in the rivalry. Now, UNC is always going to take it further because I've said this forever. Since K, Duke expects to beat Carolina. Carolina doesn't. So it's the Super Bowl for Carolina. Duke expects wait, to beat wait, wait, wait. That's your, that's Yes. Carolina does not expect to beat Duke. That's why they're still celebrating a final four loss. That's a, that I don't agree with. That's the one well, thing then, I don't agree with. Because I think that they believe in their hearts that they are the elite program. They oh, I know like they do. Longevity, and that they always they have as well. I don't think that they ever have thought that like Duke overtook them. That's in my opinion. I know. But what do we talk about all the time? Fan bases. What What do you say? What are the three things you say about Duke fans? Cocky, arrogant, know-it-alls. What would you say? Yeah, but I, I from a, a neutral perspective, I think Carolina is the same way, but in a I more know. reserved, more, more reserved manner. But that's why I don't, I don't get why like a good, like a think, good I think old they think boy. They're going to beat you guys every time. Here's okay, and when their team is not as good, they almost it's almost like oh well, we're Here's not the, we weren't supposed to beat you. They'll use that, but I do they think will they will always use it. that. They, they will go into it that. like we're the premier program, we're the standard, we're UNC, we beat you. Okay. If let's let's do this. If Duke beats Carolina and loses to Kansas, there's no t-shirts made. There's no celebration. There's we're not even mentioning. Now, yeah, it'd be nice to be like, yeah, we beat Carolina in the final four. But here's the thing. In you go to Carolina, what's their main street again? Franklin. You go to Franklin Street on their campus, you can buy t-shirts that say we beat Duke. That's their Super Bowl. The Super Which- Bowl for Duke is beating Kansas in the national championship game. I think be, their Super Bowl is beating the guy that is Duke basketball in his last game at home. In my opinion, I think for them that yes, I think it's twofold. I think it's if if it was just a Final Four game that beat like I think it was they beat him in his last game and they beat him in his last game at home. Like they beat him twice ending it. Yes, I don't think it was just like yeah. I I, I that's why I, I'm confused of why that's like. I, I think, yeah, because he's been there that long. That's like, yeah, well, let's take him out. But but don't do you not see the difference of of the celebrations? Like they blew the biggest halftime lead in national championship history, and they yeah. celebrate the Final Four. No, that's fair. They should. I mean, yeah. I I'm looking at. I'm trying to look at it objectively from my standpoint of like, what it's it's obviously not the same. But like if. For like let's say Ohio and Akron were in the national championship and would I want like would I take Ohio losing in the national championship over ending the problem is there's just not a figure on the other end of Akron or Miami I mean it's, it's impossible to like compare right I mean so it, I think the, the only the only caveat I think to that is because like they went into that tournament as an eight or a nine seed and no one even expected them to really potentially get out of the second the first weekend like everyone right. thought they were going to spoke. And so that's, I think they're almost, I think they're probably the dynamic that's a little bit different there is they're playing with house money. And, and I don't think that they ever expected to be, go the final four anyways. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I get it. Like, I, I think, I mean, honestly, like it is a forever, it's a, when you guys are both stacking championships, this is all, it's like, they treat this as a Trump card because you can go like, all right, five championships, five championships, six, six, no matter how many stack up, 
even if it's even or if it's close, they're like, yeah, but we took you out on the biggest stage. We took you out in your best game. And so that's no doubt. No doubt. They will always use that. And Duke fans would do the same. I'm just saying you would not hear about beating Carolina if they got smoked in the championship by Kansas. You just wouldn't. Like, yeah, when the Duke, like this year, when Duke Carolina plays each other, what do you think they're going to show? They're going to show those replays over and over and over, just like ESPN would if Duke won. Yeah. And people are going to bring it up without a doubt. But there would be no memorabilia. There would be no T-shirts. There would be no... You're saying just the Final Four or the other? Because there are T-shirts after they won at Cameron. That's... Ex- exactly! Yeah, because Coach K is never going to go. He's never going to coach again there. And they, again, and they're the biggest rival. But, but that's, a, that's also my He's point, too. He's got a too, sour is... taste in his mouth, and they gave it to like. Virginia, that's, that's also my thing Virginia has a shirt from where we beat like their shirts on sale for Reese Beekman's buzzer beater at Duke last year. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, just the nature of like 2022 and everyone trying to make a Duke. buck based on it's literally the company. It's like breaking tea is based was like breaking news and like break, like what's in right then. So that's, I don't know, maybe like 20 years ago, if it's the same, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying with that. I, I think it, the stakes are bigger, but both, I think have played into it. Well, I, I just think based on, and this is just one dude, but based on all Carolina Twitter, Duke Twitter, and being, you know, quote unquote, a part of this like fan rivalry for my entire life. When Duke wins, it's and and this is what I love because this that's why I asked you the question. Like, what do you think of Duke fans? You're like, well, you know, it, and and it's a cult. They're, they're the they're the they're like you know, the the rich elite kids from the Northeast that go down and go to Duke and then move back up to New York City. They're not North Carolinians or whatever they're called. And Carolina is the good old boys and the true the true definition of North Carolina and we're the Carolina way and Dean Smith. It's the same thing. That's That's what's so funny to me. They have the Carolina way. Duke has the brotherhood. UNC has Dean Smith. Duke has Coach K. They're both basically the same. At the height of their powers, they did the exact same things. So, like, all that's why I'm saying I'm like, I'm bored of the, of the standard trolls. Like, come up with something else. And when, again, when Duke wins, I, I send zero text messages to zero people. Zero. That's, that's nuts. We're literally FaceTiming people. Well, no, no, no. no. When we beat him this year, fine. From Court Street while we're watching Duke dismantle him in the middle of the game. But, okay, but here, this is what I'm saying. With the Coach K1, fine. But any other year, Duke beats Carolina, I'm retweeting. I'm I'm retweeting the highlights. I'm retweeting Duke wins. UNC beats Duke. I will get text messages from high school kids that I haven't talked to in 12 years. Could be 2017 or 2012. It doesn't matter. So, that's the difference. That's why I say when UNC beats them, it's a bigger deal for them. Of course, Duke wants to beat Carolina every single year. They want to beat each other the same. But you cannot debate the fan reaction. The fan I, reaction is, we beat Duke. Let's storm the court. In the nature of just not consuming the entire podcast, but that's, I disagree because I see the other. Like you, I agree. Maybe you don't. But the Duke fans that I grew up with and Duke fans I see, because it's the same even with Virginia. Like, they'll beat the shit out. Like, I have, I have kids I grew up with that are Duke fans that didn't give a shit about Virginia until Tony Bennett came and were good, that then talk 
about everything. Like, oh, like, look, we're like, we're still the top. Like, you still can't be us because Duke. You're honestly, saying they're Virginia the one team. fans? No, they're Duke fans that talk like oh. crazy after beating Virginia. And so oh. those are the same people that talk crazy about beating UNC. It's like they didn't talk when Virginia wasn't relevant. They talk now that Virginia is relevant because Virginia fans get cocky or more like confident about their team. It's like, oh, let's knock you back down a peg. You're not us. So that's I, I think maybe from your viewpoint, I agree. Like, yeah, you probably you're like, I'm not really in, but I think there are still a lot of Duke fans that will go crazy on on UNC. But um sure. from a team standpoint, how do you feel about oh. the Duke Blue Devils after what are we a month of the season so far? Yeah, I think nine, nine or ten games or seven and nine games, seven and two. I don't feel good. I feel fantastic about Kyle Filipowski. Um, I think by and large, people were very confused about who Derek Lively was. You know, Derek Lively was not a 40 point bucket getter in high school. That's not who he was. He ran the floor. He got lobs. He scored on pick and rolls. He got offensive rebounds. Um, and he was an absolute matchup nightmare because he's seven feet tall. So, you know, and then, you know, he comes into the season, he's a little hurt. So the expectations for him um we're just off but i also think it's just like you know duke being spoiled and being like oh it's a number one kid like he's not zion williamson like this kid stinks right so like just duke fans that don't really really pay attention i think they're, yeah. just, they're just off online. i think it's like but it's a it's a byproduct of just you brought in class after class after class where there is that even like i mean shoot even trevor keels like exploded early on the scene early last year and, and then, then had a steady, it wasn't a it wasn't decline. a it wasn't a true representation of I think how he was fully as a player. And so yeah. I think like the the best way I can describe it, I think is that it's not that there's a lack of talent. It's not that there's a lack of like that. Like I mean, this recruiting class, those guys go anywhere else. Yeah, like, it's they're still ranked the same. They're not ranked where they were because they were going to Duke. They were ranked that way, but it's not the same as it might. They might be the number one class. Just like Zion and RJ and Cam were the number one class. Yeah. But there's a the same way that Anthony Bennett's the number one pick doesn't make him Anthony Davis. Like yep. that, that and that's and that's not a knock on them. And the thing is, like Filipowski's eighth right now in Ken Palm's player of the year rankings. Duke's the number one team in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. They're really struggling shooting the three. They're 297th. They They're shooting 29.7. The and that like and when you don't have guys, that's why I said like a guy like I feel like almost every every team we've said this like Gary Trent would be the perfect uh, it would be perfect to add Gary Trent in there to this team or certain guys that would be um, a good fit. And it's not necessarily roster like you're they're bringing in a ton of talent and the roster construction can be there in a certain way, but it it, it is just like there's. There's, there's a couple there's a piece problems. missing. There's a yes. piece missing, and there's been pieces missing. Like that's why I think you look at 2010 and you look at 2015. They're much more. And I'll even throw 2019 in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if like I I think there was still a missing. They weren't complete. Complete. Um, any and and last year, like last year, there was still not every team's going to be perfect, but there are still pieces like in and well, it's just the- parts of it to be desired. To be fair, here's a good thing about Titus and Tate. They they made a good point. Last year's Duke team would smoke this year's Duke team. They said the only if you take like their I think their point was not a single player on this year's Duke team would start on last year's Duke team. 
yeah, I mean, besides Roach for besides, yeah, same person, yeah, yeah, besides right. Roach. Um, yeah, so here's here's the but breakout. last year Roach better than this year Roach. Oh is yeah, he, for sure, for sure. He, he, so he is in your mind like he's. He's not he's, he's, he's not made the jump that he needs to make or the consistency. It's not, not a jump. It's over consistency. It's consistency. Yeah. So here, let's break it down. Jeremy Roach has been very up and down. Um, and Shire has actually talked about it in, in post-game press conferences and said he's got a lot on his shoulders. Last year, he didn't need to average 15 and seven. This year he does. You know, he has to go score the ball. He has to distribute. The ball is going to be in his hands the majority of the time. Um, Whitehead hurt. Right. So he's not himself at all. He does not seem comfortable. He's he's had flashes where, you know, he takes some really tough contested shots and you're like, oh, my God, that's horrible. And it's an absolute bucket. And you're like, oh, well, if this can be consistent, great. Um, Filipowski has been the bright spot. Lively starting to come alive. Here's the issue with Duke. For the first time in a decade, maybe longer, they play nine players and they yeah. do not have a rotation. They have yeah. not figured out their starting five. Marion Young started. Now it's lively. Um, and players come and go in terms of who plays well. Jacob Grannison had an unbelievable start against Ohio State. Didn't play well down the stretch. Mark Mitchell played really well the first three games. Has been very average ever since. They're just all over the place. Tyrese Proctor, horrible start to the season. Starting to pick up now. Like, they haven't figured out their rotations. And their defense is way ahead of their offense. The only criticism I have of John Shire so far is I thought Duke was going to run offense and they do not. And it is so frustrating to watch because the main complaint we had of Michael Krzyzewski was my God, all you do is basically four out, sometimes five out ISO dribble drive, make a play like just NBA stuff. But it's brutal. They don't have those type of guys, and they need to run. Last night they ran. Ian, they. I'm sure maybe um, maybe you saw the tweet. They ran America's play. It is what you put in in fifth grade. Screen the screener. Okay, <laughs> cross screen big, down screen for the guard to get a three, and he was wide open, and he made the three. It was Tyrese Proctor, and I remember tweeting like, "Yo, what do we do? We not just see it like." Run that again. Make them guard it again. Like, and then what do they do? They come down. They do like their boring horns, their bullshit like screen at the top. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's brutal. So they don't. They do not run good offense. That's that's what is happening with Duke. Now, all that to be said, they beat a good Ohio State team, and they have two losses to two really good teams. Like, yeah. And they could have beat Kansas. They turned the ball over like three times in the last forty-five seconds. They could have beat Kansas if they. If you're talking one loss to Purdue, I mean, great. No, I, I mean you're right. Yeah, and I think it's it's not it's not a panic. It's not like this is like the worst no thing we've ever seen. It's not a panic. I Their think it's just is really good. Recalculate expectations. And I think if you came into the season thinking this was going to be automatic top five team, no, from the jump all the way through, you're mistaken. And I think I don't I don't know if there were people that thought that way or expected, or maybe it's just by a, a nature of like. They expect that because it's a number one recruiting class. They have all this talent, and um, it was just never going to be that. Now, no. Carolina, the transition, you yep. you could have made an argument. Like, you could have said, like, coming back from last year, they have everyone back except for Brady Manick. They're adding mm-hmm. Pete, they're adding Pete Nance um, and, and replacing, obviously, Manick with Nance. And a lot of people looked at that as, like, one for one. Some people even looked at it and not even an upgrade. 
but just a different style of a player. And, and a, like they took Northwestern's best player. And we're sitting here, they're five and three. They lost Iowa State. They lost in a, one of the messiest basketball games maybe I've ever watched in uh, down the stretch with Alabama in four overtimes. Um, and then lost to Indiana last night. And I'm not saying that any, like the only one of those that I think is very, is surprising is Iowa state. That's the yeah. one that kind of caught off guard. And to be fair, Iowa state had the kid, um, like Caleb grill that just had like the game of his life, um, and couldn't absolutely couldn't miss going and winning at Indiana is tough. Like they're a uh, top 10 team. You're playing in assembly hall. They're rejuvenated a fan base that Mike Woodson's got them running. Like they're a really talented team. So I'm not that surprised. Alabama, same thing. On a neutral court, you're going to the West Coast. You're playing an Alabama team that is really good, that has good guard play. Shout out Mark Sears, uh, former Ohio point Shout guard. Out Mark. Shout out Jaquan Quinter. Like, they're a good team. They're well coached. If you told me, like, they lost to Alabama and Indiana back-to-back, I wouldn't have been surprised. The difference there is, I think, is what we're at, is, like, the flaws of the backcourt's not playing together. Baycott, there's no depth behind Baycott. Pete Nance is not Brady Manic. No, and, they miss Brady Manic so bad. And it's crazy that, like, as, as the, a guy that was there for one season and the impact that he had. And we talk, and it, it really is. It, we talk, I mean, the common thing, I feel like we should just rename the podcast to like setting expectations or something like that, because, or great expectations, because literally some of the theme is like, what are you expecting? What are, and, this, once again, this this Carolina team showed that last year how good they could be by going all the way to the national championship, by beating Baylor, by beating Duke a couple times, by taking, like playing tough and almost winning a national championship over Kansas. But then also at times last year, when we look at like their schedule, like remember they lost to like Pittsburgh in like January twenty third, and we're like they're not they going, they're literally yeah. not going to make the tournament. They lost so, to Pittsburgh February sixteenth by nine February. at home. They lost like they lost a floor. They lost a Wake Forest by 22. They lost to Miami by 28. Like there were times last year where they just they they didn't look good. And and obviously they they had this experience. I mean they ran through a gauntlet of beating Baylor, UCLA. Now they got a walkover and a wet. I don't want to say a walkover. Shout St. Peter's, a great run. And then by beating it Duke, a walkover. But the fact it's almost like. UCLA the year before had a great run expecting everyone automatic number one the next year or top five step down I think this this is like it's weird because I a I think they did drink the Kool-Aid I think that RJ I think that Caleb I think that Baycott I don't want to say any more than those three but like they definitely came in very very confident and I've watched them a lot and they haven't looked great they haven't looked dominant we know they can be there, but it's like, what is it going to take? And when is it going to click? It can click. I'm not saying it's not. But what we've seen from them so far is like, once again, it's you have so much talent and we've seen you be good. But like, where did that go? And what and what's the answer? And I, I think, um, I, obviously, the three losses, it's almost more concerning. We went, we talked about this in the last episode, like, they didn't look great against Portland. They didn't look good against Gardner Webb. Or they, yeah, they haven't like, looked good against really anybody. We went and yet. saw him against James Madison, and like honestly, James, James Madison, Madison two best James players Madison knocks down a couple more looks. Like the, they got good looks. It's a much tighter game, and you're looking at that a lot. Of, like they just didn't have the size that like Baycott basically went for like twenty and twenty. Yeah, and and, and James Madison two best players went three for twenty eight. Even if they yeah. go six for twenty eight, the whole the entire game's different. All right, let's talk about Trace Jackson Davis. This is a bad man. 
Um, and I know Baycott's hurt, and and everyone was looking forward to that matchup. Um, obviously, uh, Jackson Davis got the better of him. But this dude, how do we feel about him in the NBA? He's he's one of those guys where, like, I don't, I'm not confident in Baycott in the NBA at all. Um, no. I'm actually not confident that Love Davis or Baycott will be great NBA players. Um, that's not the point. How do we feel about Jackson Davis? Like, will he find a way just because he's he's that skilled? I think so. Yeah, He'll find I a think home. That- I think, yeah, I, I, I'm not saying he's a starter, but I think he, he fills a role. And yeah, I think like, like eight, eight, six, year, nine, eight, two, career, six, like nine, two forty-five. Yeah. Like he's not, um, he's not going to be, I mean, he, he, there's, I think he's going to be ser- a serviceable NBA player. Okay. That's, I mean, that's what I put in, but the talent's there and talent's always been there. It's, it's honestly, yeah. it's almost, it's almost crazy to me that he's come back for his fourth year. Like he, the I talent know. was there from the jump. Like I watched him, EYBL playing for, um, oh my, what the the Indiana? I can't even Indy think of their their yeah Indy Heat yeah Spice Indy Heat yeah Spies and Heat. I mean he was a top ten top fifteen recruit then and yeah. Archie obviously brought him to Indiana and so not only did he come in as a high ranked recruit, play for a coach that gets fired, stay the transition and then have a really good year last year, come back for a fourth year. Too, um, it, it's it's honestly it's it's awesome for Indiana. It's awesome for college basketball. Shout and out to Mike Woodson, man. We weren't, like, we weren't sure yeah. how it was going to go. You know, no, and, we, and he's we, he's doing well. He's and he's brought like he's brought a lot of stability there. Now, granted, like Indiana, it's in, like now people I think are really tuning in because they they played they played Xavier earlier, and other than that, they really hadn't played anyone yet. So now is the first time people are actually taking notice because they beat Carolina. They defend. But, they're really good, man, and and they've got like, they they have a, a ton of depth. They have their very veteran laid team. I'm looking, they are let's see, they are 66 in the country in D1 experience. Um, bench minutes 39.2 percent or 28th in the country in bench minutes. Minutes continuity, they're 26 at 64 and a half. So like they've got a rotation, got a deep rotation, but they know when like you talk about like Duke not having a rotation. There's not any like. Indiana is there, like, and they're um, they're a big team. Like, they're long. They 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 have the 13th ranked offense, 11th ranked defense. We talked about at the end of the year, like, you have to do both. They do both. Um, they're top five or their second effective field goal percentage. They're fifth and two point shooting percentage. Um, the interesting thing for me that I think when you look at it is possession length. They're really they play fast on offense, but you're right, they guard because they are. Big. Guard, bro. Thirty third in possession length on offense, three hundred and fourteenth in possession length on defense. So they sit down, they make you guard. Like the average possession length is at seventeen point three seconds. Like they're they're playing obviously much faster than that. They're getting good looks. I mean, they're putting up. They only put up seventy seven against Carolina, but before that, and granted, it's a different competition. It's 90, 87, 86, 81, 101, 88. At one point, yeah. at one point, the announcers in the second half last night. This is how good Indiana's defense was. At one point, R.J. Davis came down in one of very few traditional UNC fast breaks and just pulled up. Yeah. Came down. It was like an offense, uh, defensive rebound, got a good outlet, ran down, and pulled. It wasn't a three. I think it was just like a deep two. Yeah. And he missed it. And the announcers were like, at this point, that might be UNC's best offense anyway. Just shoot <laughs> before IU is set because that's yeah. how good their defense was. Like, they were swarming. There were so many deflections, so many loose balls, so many yep. ju- like 
I mean, it was that was a statement by that. So they play Saturday. They go they go to the rack and they play Rutgers on Saturday. Start Big Ten play, which will be they got to beat. Um, right now is it slays like a three point game, and obviously a lot of that's being home team. But they we get to see them. They play Kansas. Um, they're playing Kansas on the road on December seventeenth. Um, and then obviously once they really get in the gauntlet of of a Big Ten play. Like they're going to play a lot of really good teams down the stretch. I mean, the Big Ten is good. I don't think we said going in. I think the Big Twelve, in my opinion, is still the best conference. Um, I don't think the Big Ten is there. Um, but the Big Ten, I mean, you've got Indiana, who's looked really good. You've got Purdue, who's looked really good. Michigan um, State's kind of a conundrum. Michigan like, State, like they've, they've beaten at, good teams. Maryland and Ohio State are both twentieth and twenty second. Illinois looks good. Illinois, I, I've, I've been Illinois. very impressed with. The yep. team I'm not impressed with, I'm mean, gonna use as a transition is Michigan. Yep. Michigan and and I'm gonna I, I don't want to say it's like they played a obviously Virginia was fortunate to squeak out a win um in, in on on Tuesday night, 70 to 68, and and Michigan was up eleven at halftime. But I watched them against Ohio a couple weeks ago. I watched them against Virginia. They Hunter Dickinson is a very good player. Uh, the Jet Howard is a very good player. Outside of that, I'm not impressed, A, with their personnel, and B, they don't run anything that gets their best players good looks. And that was the biggest thing when things went south. So they scored 43 points against Virginia in the first half. They followed that up by scoring 25 in the second. And they, when Virginia was getting stops, and I get it's not easy to get looks against a, a Virginia defense, especially if you're they're post doubling Hunter every time. But I've I'm not I don't want to crush Jawan Howard, but at some point you gotta find a way to get the guys that are your best players and your best playmakers, your best scores the ball. And they just couldn't find a way to do that. And the worst thing I thought down the stretch if people watch that Everyone argues like Jet Howard took a three that Virginia kind of stripped or blocked at the very end. Jawan called a timeout before the second free throw, which, okay, great. Like freeze him a little bit, ice him, have a play set. So whether it's gone, but, and, and don't let their defense set. I get that. I think there are a lot of you on Twitter that were ignoring the fact that like, they're like, why didn't he call a timeout after the miss? Like, well, that also gives Virginia a chance to set the defense a little bit more, whereas they could kind of leak out. But regardless if anyone that watches Virginia for the last 12 years knows that they're going to hedge everything and maybe even switch, if anything, the last thing they're going to do is drop in like drop coverage or anything like that. Michigan runs a dribble handoff to Jet Howard by basically like the coach's box where clearly they're going to just converge with literally, they barely even got the shot off if it, if it hadn't been blocked. I don't even know if they would have gotten off in time. I just don't, it blows my mind that in this scenario, and like I said, Jawan Howard's a great recruiter. He's had a lot of success. I just was baffled. And Phil Martelli's on that staff too with as much head coaching experience as anyone really in the country. It baffled me what they were able to get defensively in the second half and then, or often, sorry, offensively in the second half and then what they're basically drawing up to get a look at the end when clearly Hunter Dickens is your best player. I get, you know, it's got hard to get in the ball in the post with like eight seconds left, you're driving down the end of the court, but at least do something like anything, then set it basically a dribble handoff in the corner, almost like in the corner, breaks on the wing there where there's no chance Jet Howard's doing anything with that. And the last thing I'll say on Michigan, 
I don't want to hate Hunter Dickinson, but he's got to chill out with like this man. They're up, they're <laughs> down five to Ohio, and he's riding the three horse, and he's doing uh, chop like the DX chop with the threes after hitting it. And I love the emotion. I love the passion. I love to see it come out. Maybe when you came back against Ohio and won in overtime, like I'm fine with you bringing that out. But it's the first half, and you're losing by five to a team that you're like expected to beat by fifteen or twenty. I feel like it's 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 just overdone when you just continue and doing it. But I have three I have three questions for please you. Please go. Is does Virginia have the best backcourt in the ACC? No, they don't. But I I it's they're great. Like they're really good. And the thing that sets them apart, they're not talent wise. No, but like for what Virginia runs and how they play, I take those two over anybody else. Sure, it's kind of all that, that But that's there, the there's a the caveat there. But in the same way, it's like no one – you can say, yeah, RJ and Caleb are more talented. You can say Miami's backcourt and even NC State's backcourt. And you can say these guys like Casey Morsell, Jaquavion Smith, they're great. Casey Morsell's not sniffing Reese Beekman defensively. Jaquavion Smith's not sniffing Kihei Clark defensively. And I, I think that they provide – Reese is taking a big leap. They even ESPN. I don't know if you saw us today. ESPN has him sneaking in the first round going this year. They have him like 28th right now on the big board, which okay. would pain me if to see him leave after this year. But he's playing much more aggressively. He's made a huge leap. Kihei, once again, I don't understand how people didn't want him back because he's just a gamer and he plays well. He, he's playing within himself. He doesn't have to try and do more. And when you get that, the combination of that, you're getting enough offensively out of the two of them. And then you're just getting clamps on defense. I don't say they're the best team, but I think they're they're probably the most valuable backcourt to any team, maybe in the country, because they, yeah. they they can't Virginia can't do what they want to do without the two of them. Honestly, on both ends of the court. Okay, next question: Who wins first, California or Louisville? That's tough, Coach. That is a uh, that's a tough <laughs> question. Louisville, Cali, Cali's zero and eight. I the, believe the, the only thing I just don't 7. understand with Louisville is like how you know. There's been a lot of people says like. How do, they are 351st in the country in turnover percentage. Oh How do you not God. just go like get a point guard in the portal for a year? Like anybody. 351st. Like, 351st. They're 332nd effective field goal percentage. Um, they're the only things they really do well is shoot free throws and not get blocked. Um, and okay. and they don't give up, they don't give up a ton of their top 50 in in offensive rebound percentage from, from a defensive standpoint. Other than that, it's all red. And, and I mean, they've just gotten rolled. I feel bad. Um, they play Miami at home on Sunday. They play at Florida State, which if that was at home, I'd say maybe they could squeak out because Florida State doesn't look great. Um, and then they play Western Kentucky at home. They're projected to lose. It's not until December 17th against Florida A&M where they're projected Ooh. to have a win. And they play Florida A&M and they play Lipscomb. And then they got to play at Don't NC State. They got to play K at Kentucky and the ACC gauntlet, like it's tough. And like, I get it's going to take time for Kenny Payne and reset things. And I really I hope for, I just don't for... understand why if you're Louisville and you, the facilities, you have the name brand, you have everything. You can't just get one good mid-major guy. I'm not even saying like get Mark Sears, but I was going like, to say, you could have got Mark Sears probably right. Mark Sears is going to, if I'm Mark Sears, yeah, I'm going to Alabama over yeah. Louisville for one year or two years, but there's, there's plenty of guys out there that like, don't and maybe aren't going to be lured by the winning like Mark Sears wanted to win at a bigger stage. 
He's already winning at Ohio. He's not going to take a drop to lose, but you're going to get guys that, all right, I want to play on a bigger stage. Um, even in a way that um, Carlick Jones did a few years ago. Now, granted, Louisville was supposed to be better. Carlick Jones left Radford, went to Louisville. Like, doesn't have to be Carlick Jones. Doesn't have to be Mark Sears. But Somebody. the fact that they just rolled with what they had uh, is is tough. But um, And Cal, like, I think Cal gets the benefit of going under the radar because, A, they're on the West Coast. And B, they don't have the history of Louisville. And um, but I mean, they are zero and eight. They got to go at Arizona Sunday. They do play Eastern Washington uh, at home. Um, they're projected to win that by four. But man, it is it's tough. Okay. Uh, next question: Who is the head coach at Syracuse next year? Another good one. I mean, honestly, I watched the Bryant. I watched the whole second half of the Bryant Syracuse game. Neither team – I mean, Bryant won. Congratulations. Syracuse literally had probably a dozen chances to win that game. Just literally tossed them all up. It is sad. I think it was Big Cat that tweeted. It was like, I know I, – he was like, I'm saying this with – like, I'm removing all sarcasm. Like, I know I give Coach K a hard time. But at least at least Coach K, as 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 big of an ego trip his the end of his last season he's was – got a massive ego. And that – and his retirement tour – at least he's not doing what Bayheim's doing in terms of like the pro the program is just on just and it's been on a decline since like 20 shoot even when they went to the final four and I guess that would have been 17 yeah 17 or so yeah when, when they beat Virginia in the elite eight to go um I, I mean even no, I guess it was 16 yes yeah, 2016 yeah, that was a long time ago they went to the they went to the final four in 16 and even then they were 23 and 14. Yeah, most they people said they shouldn't have even their, gotten They into lost the six of their last seven games going into the tournament in 2016, and they went to the Final Four and lost to Carolina. And that was the last time, like, if you look at it, like, they didn't win seven. They didn't win 20 games in the 17. Um, 2018, they went 23 and 14 and had, um, they lost to Duke in the, uh, they lost to Duke in the Elite Eight, or, yeah, um, in, in 18. Was that 19? They won 20, like 14 losses, though. 14. They have 14 no, I mean, losses. They, yeah. Every year. Last year went 16 and 17. This year they're three and four. Can't be losing to Colgate and Bryant. I mean, you just can't. I mean, they're losing. And and like for a while, they lost I mean, they lost to St. John's, too. Yeah. Like, and they want like they want to be called New York's team. That's that's not a battle you can lose. No, I know. But, I know. Um, they'll they but they go at Notre Dame on Saturday, which yeah, Notre Dame's like, good. They're good. And I think like you need, you need the biggest thing for me is you need more out. Like Judah Mintz is really good. Freshman backer. Awesome. And even um, Justin Taylor, the kid from Charlottesville um, freshman looked really good against Bryant. I think he had 20 some and they, they got the ball. Joseph Gerard is your guy. And, and when you're putting the ball in his hands, as much as, as much as he's getting it. And he had zero points in 20 minutes against Illinois. He had five, five points on one of 12 shooting against Bryant. He had four points on one of 10 shooting against St. John's. Like he went for 31 against Richmond. We know the kid can fill it up, but like we clearly are seeing like they're going there. They will go as far as Joe Girard takes them. And if he's not playing there, like it's, it's going to be a struggle, but it, I, ho I hope, I really hope for both your sake and my sake, 
I haven't looked at the schedule that Virginia and Duke play Syracuse and Louisville twice this year. I really hope that's the case. I think, uh, no, we each only get them once. Uh, That's brutal. Well, Virginia, sorry, Virginia gets them twice. There you go. Virginia gets them twice. Duke gets them, uh, Duke gets them in the carrier dome on Saturday, February 18th. Okay. Last rapid fire. Last two questions. If you are, are the SEC commissioner, are you suspending Jerry Stackhouse? It was a, that was a wild situation, man. Wild. I think he does. Like, I, I don't even know if it needs to go to SEC. I think that, like, they might even, like... Or, like, Vanderbilt AD. will? I think that the AD is, like, probably embarrassed by how it shook out. It was I wild. Mean, you've got a police officer just, like, pushing you off the court. He was an inch away from essentially you, you bumping, not runners. hitting. I but... I've only seen the clip on Twitter. What was it that set him off, and do we know, like... I only saw the, I've only saw the aftermath. I don't even know. Yeah, and, and I want I feel bad not providing more context or doing the digging into that, but it it just looked like one of those situations where you you, you just can't act like that. It's not that no. like, and it's not from inexperience. It's not from it's just that at the end of the day, like there's certain things you can you can't do. It's the same way as like Jawan Howard last year, like smacking or pushing the guy in the in the face, <laughs> the exact same way. Like there's just certain things that like. You can't do it. I hate that I'm just like targeting the two like former NBA guys for doing that. But like, I don't care who it is. Like, it's the same way. Like, I even thought it was it was a weird look when when Bryant won and Grasso was just like shrugging off, uh, shrugging off Bayheim and um, not as I said, gave him a fake apology on it. Like, there's there's a limit. Like, you can that's probably the far. Like, you can be brash and you can be bold and you can do things, but like can't be running in the middle of the floor and having to be like escorted off by a police officer because you're look like you're going to physically attack the referee. Agreed. Last question. Is Zach Eady the player of the year? Because this dude is balling right now. 22 and 14. I don't want to get ahead of myself just because like we did this last year in a way, you know, like Purdue and we do it. like We like, do it every year. We love up Purdue. And then they lose in the sweet 16 and I get so angry with myself. He is number one in the Ken Palm player of the year. Like his efficiency numbers, everything are just absolutely insane. He was not this good last year. about though is like, it's, I don't want to diminish like how good he is and how good his season has been. And how's, but like, it's a lot easier to take away a post player like that than it is to take away like a guard that can just heat up or like ignite an offense. Like when we, yeah, get to well, time, no one's figured it out yet. You're, I mean, you're, you're right. And, I mean, honestly, we, and honestly, and I saw like, I, I saw like Virginia with Virginia with Hunter Dickinson. Like there's like, there were times where I was like, you know what? Like Virginia. So Virginia doubled with two bigs to start the game. And yeah. then they're like, you know what? Like let's switch and let's try and just tag with guards and, 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 and instead, and because he was because Hunter was swinging it out so quick, and then it got to the point where I was, I'm thinking as a Virginia defensive like loyalist, like we'll live with like just like Hunter is going to get thirty. It seems like tonight, like just let's not oversell and give up all these threes. Edie is almost in the same way. It's like you almost have to go into expecting him to just eat. Well, that's my that that was my complaint, and me and Billy argue about this all the time. Billy says there's no other way to guard Edie. He's like, yo, he's just going to pass it out and they're going to hit threes. Like, you can't double them. But I'm always like, why? Like, Duke doesn't even... Duke has three seven-footers. Like, yeah. they got to be able to do something else yeah. besides sit behind Edie and just give up buckets. I'm like, we don't, we don't front. We don't three-quarter. We don't... Way to give him the foul trouble or something. That it's they didn't it's do like out anything. The game. They didn't yeah. do anything. They sat behind a seven-four kid and let him be 
five feet from the bucket. I'm like, what do you think's going to happen? He's an absolute beast. And we got to give props to Matt Painter. Like, oh, I mean, he probably, in the more that I've come to watch them, like they run the best stuff. Like they yeah. run the best stuff. They have so many different variations of what they do. Edie's numbers are so insane. You look at it from every game, like the first game went four of 13 from the field. It was 12 of 13, eight of 11, seven of 12, 10 of 16, seven of 13, oh. 11 of 14. Oh, and then like, what's that percentage? 50, I mean, 60% from the field. It, it's something. Let's see. What are you, what are you shooting this year from a, um, let's go field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage in 64.1%. Um, and the comparisons on camp on the is just, Kofi Coburn in 2020, Tyler Zeller in 2011. Um, Isaac has like, I think it's, yeah, he's shooting, he's shooting 60, 64%. He's shooting 64%. Yeah. Shooting 64%. Crazy. Yeah, he's, he's a beast. He but is an absolute beast, man. The Big Ten, like, it'll be interesting. I, I want to see how those teams, I think that the Big 12 is like, the Big 12 is a step above. I do think the Big Ten, though, is going to cannibalize themselves of – I don't think that the Big 12, we're going to walk away of like, oh, this team lost to this team. They're not as good. I think that during this Big Ten season, some of these teams are going to beat others and make them look worse than maybe they actually are um, in, a, in a weird way because there's a lot of guys like they're not – they don't have like the elite top five like a Texas or you know, Baylor. Baylor did not look good <laughs> against Marquette. They did not. And and some of these others in Kansas. But – I do think you've got the tiers, like you said, like an Ohio State, like a Michigan, like where they're going to be good teams. They're going to be tournament teams. And there's going to be games where they fall flat. And there's going to be games where they get smoked. And I think we have to just look at it as, you know, they're they're quality teams. And there's just going to be a lot of variance throughout the conference schedule. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Ohio State has to protect Zed Key at all costs because, I mean, Duke hasn't been able to stop Zed Key in two years. That dude is so freaking good. Um all right, that wraps it up. It's time for Thursday Night Football. We will be back with you guys at some point next week. We had an interview lined up for tonight. She had to pause to make sure that her PR team was okay with it. We sent her the questions. We'll see what there comes back. Um, so we'll hopefully get her on next week, but we're excited about it as well. I want to end with one question for you. Go. Virginia plays Houston on Saturday, December 17th. Ooh. Houston right now is number one in the AP poll. Uh, Virginia is number three. Texas is number two. Is that a one versus two matchup? With will by the time December seventeenth comes, will Virginia be two? Will Houston be one? And I want to put in here: Texas plays Creighton at home tonight, and they play Illinois on a neutral site on Tuesday. Ah, uh, that's a tough. I would need to see who Virginia and Houston plays. I'll say, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Houston's got St. Mary's, um, St. Mary's, fair. North Florida, Alabama. They play Alabama. All right, and Bama. North Carolina, A and T. So and they should. Virgi- yeah. And then Virginia's just plays Florida State and James Madison. They get a week off for uh for yeah. For, so so with those probably- schedules, you you got to think Texas might lose one. Can Bama upset Houston? Probably not. And then you would think Virginia takes care of those two. Who would have ever pegged the potential one-two matchup of Virginia-Houston playing each other in December? Like I, I didn't think Virginia was going to be one, this high two. this early. I really if didn't. We get a one, and, and this is all leaving. I'll be prideful of this. I texted you the status and insane stat. First time since 2003, 2004, 
that Virginia has opened their first six games scoring 70 points or more in each game. Yeah, never team. happened. Never happened under Tony Bennett. They've scored 70 points at least in every single game. They're fourth in offensive efficiency, 19th in defensive efficiency. They're second in three-point shooting in the country for a team that literally last year, I think, finished 247. So it's the race to that's 70. What, that's the, that's the, ben, the Ben Plas effect and the uh, – and, the, and what confidence does for a three-point shooter in Armand Franklin. You see a few going in, and it changes everything. So. It's, the race to, it's the race to 70 for the Cavaliers. Team Black Thought for Virginia. Um, you know, the brand, is the, the brand is strong. We will see you. We will see you on episode 122. Until then, deuces. Lately I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss and tell me what you're working for. Certain doors were closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pull, slush, Russell's up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.